along. It's mm. the gardening program on a glorious, glorious, glorious Saturday morning. Porrick, good morning to good you. Good morning, good morning, and a glorious week promised. I know. Really warm Twenty to twenty-five degrees. Yeah. I was saying at the start of the program yesterday morning when I was just leaving the house and uh, met Erin were on given their roundup before eight o'clock, and the comment, the last comment I heard as I was leaving the door was, uh, "It's going to be hotter than Mexico." Wow. Which oh made gosh. me laugh out loud a little bit. <laughs> but but I is. just thought, okay, that's where we're headed. Um, well, whether it's going to be hotter than Mexico, hard to know, but it's, but it's definitely going to, be, going to be good. It's going to be dry, sustained dry period and, and increasing temperatures as we go through. I think Thursday, we're talk, they're talking about right up to 25, 26 degrees here in the mm. West. So it's going to be very, very warm, which is great for gardening yeah. because people are able to get out and about and do some things. A lot of the summer bedding plants are going to respond so well to this weather. I mean, this is what they like. So all your summer bedding, your hanging baskets, window boxes are going to be looking fantastic. So growth is going to be very strong. Um, Watering, of course, is going to be the key issue. And again, increasingly, as I talk to people in the garden centre and they're asking me about how to water and they're out watering every night. So So just to recap, and I think I mentioned it last week, really a couple of tips when you're watering. You're focus on watering the the soil not the plant itself that's the first thing and remember that most plants you've only planted them up in the last maybe four or five weeks particularly hanging baskets patio containers uh, window boxes so the plants haven't penetrated right through the soil just yet so they're not going to require the same degree of water as they'll require in July and August so my advice really is to water about once a week but water heavily so take your containers, give them a really good soaking and, and put them back up again. Now do check them maybe, particularly this week, maybe if you water today, check them maybe Wednesday and Thursday and just see. But ebb on the side of, of underwatering slightly rather than overwatering. So you don't need to be out there every night. People think because the day is bright and, and sunny, they have to be out day in, day and uh, night so watering. So that's avoid that. Make sure you water the soil, water heavily, and then leave the plants for at least four to five, maybe six days, up to a week. So again, looking around my own garden this morning, I, I checked all the containers. They haven't been watered in, in, in over a week. They don't need watering for another couple of days. Mm. So I'm going to leave them very much alone. Liquid feeding is also going to be important. So as plants now are beginning to flower and grow really strongly, put on the liquid feeds every 10 days. So things like tomato feed, Osmo Universal feed is very good. Any of those liquid feeds will help to boost on plants and bring them into flowering. The other key thing, I mentioned it last week, is the deadheading of plants. So the deadheading of roses. So that's just the continually taking off the old dead heads. And I normally link that when you feed plants. So if you deadhead your plants about every 10 days and feed them at the same time, that's a very good uh, system to get into. So things like lupins should be, the old flowers should be cut back. Anything that flowered early, like Celine, um, any of those early flowering plants, they should be deadheaded now and they'll regrow, particularly if you feed them, and they'll come back into flower again later on during the summer. Same applies to roses. Many roses have had a, an early flush of flower with the, with, the, with the heat we had a couple of weeks yes. back. You're going to increasingly see that and they are going to go over that a little bit faster. So they'll flower, they'll come into bloom quicker and then they'll go to producing the little seed head. So if you, again, every 10 days, 7 to 10 days, take off the old flowers. It's a form of pruning really and the plant responds to that by producing new growth and new 
new flowers. And if you continue to do that through the summer, they'll continue to flower right up to October yeah. or November. So regular trimming back of or deadheading of plants that are, are coming into flower. It's also a really good time for planting roses. Yes. So soil conditions are still really good. There's still quite a bit of moisture down the soil. So once you dig a, 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 a hole for a, a rose bush or a tree or a shrub, once you get down 8, 10, 12 inches, there's quite a bit of moisture down there. But it's a nice time to select rose, r- roses because they're actually coming into flower at the moment. So particular varieties that I, I admire last night were uh, varieties like Sheila's Perfume, which is a beautiful two-toned rose, highly scented, Mum in a Million, which I think we've been asked on the programme for, but that's available at the moment, which again is a a lovely scented rose, quite short in stature, uh, beautiful, large kind of pink and white flowers, mum in a million, really nice one. An old variety called Piccadilly, which uh, is, again, kind of a two-toned, highly scented rose, Just Joy, Rhapsody in Blue, which is a lovely blue rose. So there's lots of really good uh, different varieties of roses that you can plant at this time of year. Many of them in flower. Yes. So you can go and actually smell the rose. I think Vic, you can really could notice them over the last uh, week or two as well. And yeah. I even coming in in the car this morning, I know it was lovely and bright and everything. Um, some flowers or some roses really in like Full incredible bloom. bloom yeah. yeah, and that's what we're seeing at the moment. And they just love this sort of warm weather. This is rose weather. So it's a great time to plant them. I mentioned a couple of the uh, shorter varieties. I think a listener last week was looking for one for a bank and slope. So there are varieties in the eye series. So there's varieties like Smiley Eyes or Eye of the Tiger um, or uh, Eyes Just for You. So these are small, they're, they're Persian roses and they've got single flowers, but they produce them on mass, quite a large flower. And they may open in yellow and it'll turn to orange. So they tend to fade into a darker colour as they come into flower. So they're a beautiful range of roses, particularly if you want something low growth. for banks, slopes, beds, containers. They're certainly really nice. And David Austin is a famous breeder in the UK that grows particularly the old shrub roses, the old cottage garden roses, um, the highly scented. So they've got the big blousy flowers with that really heavy musky uh, rose scent. Um, So there's a lot of different varieties that David Austin has, but there's a particularly nice one in flower at the moment. It's It's a double pink called Princess Alexandria of Kent. (laughs) He couldn't have made it simple. So Princess Alexandria of Kent, it's a lovely, rich, deep pink variety of David Austin. But any of the David Austin roses are renowned for their colour in particular, their continuous flowering, and also that really heaven scent. So again, a great time to plant roses. Thinking about summer colour then, things like hydrangeas, they will be coming into flower in the next couple of weeks so this is a good time to plant hydrangeas in the garden as they come into flower they do use copious amounts of water so particularly as we get into July it's a good idea to to leave the hose running on them for maybe half an hour to really give them a heavy soaking and then do that maybe once a week just to keep them really going but it's a good time to plant hydrangeas at the moment so if you want a bit of summer colour in pots and containers or maybe out in the garden soil hydrangeas are great roses are, are so reliable and then all the bedding plants like there's a lovely plant at the moment called zinnia. So it's, it's, um, it's a whole range of different colours of really bright, uh, vibrant shades of colour. So it's a double flowering plant. So uh, a plant called zinnia, beautiful in pots and containers, patio containers, out in a shrub board to add a bit of colour. It'll only grow about a foot in height. It'll spread to about 18 inches in diameter. Okay, so nice and bushy. And it'll flower the whole summer. Fantastic. Long. It's a really, really vibrant. If you want something kind of 
to, I suppose, to reflect the weather. The weather, yeah, and just <laughs> the Mediterranean zizz. We're all going to be in colour, so the gardens have to be in colour as yeah, well. Yeah, so they're really nice. The zinnias, now is a good time to plant them. Osteosperms, the, the sunnies, and geraniums, all of those really should be going out into the garden now. And, and if you haven't planted them already, get them out. They're going to give you tons of colour right through the summer. And somebody was saying to me this morning that, you know, June is not a bit late, but I was, you know, you've got June, July, August, yeah. September, We're only at the start October. Of the summer. There are five months of colour okay, yet right. to be had. So, you know, put get out your bedding plants now, get get them into the ground, feed them well, water them once a week heavily, and sit back and, and enjoy. Uh, enjoy the colour. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And do keep an eye on the on the slugs and snails, particularly at night time. They'll hate the sort of heat. I was going to say are, how are they going to fare out now? It's they're to, not. Will they be? Okay, so <laughs> they won't be basking in the sunshine, right, let's put it that way. It would be a bit of dehydrating for them. They, they will. And they, they'll really come out after dusk. So they're out at kind of at, you know, maybe eight, nine, ten o'clock in the evening, right through till four or five in the morning. And then they, they, they hibernate for the rest of the right day. They just can't stand this heat. So, uh, but do keep an eye on them, particularly for young plants in particular. I did mention last week as well, the temperatures are ideal for preparing lawns in mm-hmm. particular. So if you listeners have new gardens or they want to repair an area, this is the sort of weather to get the soil conditions done. So, you know, uh, kill off any weeds that might be there, cultivate the soil, get the ground conditions ready for sowing seed and then um, you, you can sow seed in this weather particularly if you put on a little sprinkler you know again a couple of times a week just to keep it irrigated or even just to get the ground ready and to leave it ready when the, the weather breaks maybe in a week or two or hopefully a month's time <laughs> um, you know but really in terms of preparing soil this is the sort of weather that we yeah. is perfect for preparing lawns in particular so particularly people with new gardens or if they want to repair an area then um, this is a good time for the sowing of seed and also the sowing of vegetable seed so continue to sow particularly salad crops carrots all of those vegetables can be sown from seed at this time of year and I did mention last week if you want colour for the autumn winter and spring of next year this is the time of year for sowing plants like scented wallflowers forget-me-nots double daisies autumn flowering and winter flowering pansies can be sown from seed at this time of year so it's a very cheap way of raising quite a wide range of plants and many perennial plants like the, the lupins, delphiniums, the foxgloves, you sow the seed mm-hmm. at this time of year because we've got the perfect temperatures to get them to germinate. I mean, it's, so, it's a no-brainer, really. Throw the seed in the ground and, and if you water it, yeah. they will grow. So we've got just the perfect conditions at the moment for propagating a lot of, of plants in the garden, particularly from seed. So don't forget that. Uh, obviously, watering is going to be important until the, the, the young seedlings germinate. But they'll germinate in, in a series of days right, rather record, than record weeks. Time really Absolutely. No. Absolutely, when you get this sort of heat. So, so because the soil, absolutely no excuses. The soil acts like a radiator. It stores that heat. So once you put moisture onto it, it just that heat is released. And if, particularly if seeds are there, you're going to see it with the weed seeds. Yes. <laughs> They're going to be <laughs> popping up everywhere. So why not put down some flower seeds as well? So they're the type of things that people should be doing. But particularly on the watering, don't be breaking your heart out there every night watering your containers. Because overwatering, it can do as much damage as underwatering. So... Water the soil, water heavily, and then step, step back, back and let them. And as as we do get into as we get into the later part of the summer, July and August, particularly plants are heavy flowering heavily. The roots then have penetrated the compost. Certainly, the watering uh, needs to increase in terms of you know biweekly. But mm-hmm. at this time of year, don't be. Or else, get yourself a small little sprinkler and put it on the end of the hose and leave it on for an hour. Go and have your tea. Come back out. Turn it off. Watering in early morning or evening is best. 
not during the heat of the day. Kind of a waste of time during It's a waste of time and it also can scorch plants as well. If the, the foliage is getting wet, particularly in the sort of temperatures we're going to have midweek, then it is advisable to do it early morning or late in the evening. But um, So they're the, the type of things okay. lots, to be getting lots on to be with. Out there. Yeah. Just, while you were talking about roses, uh, somebody has sent in a picture on WhatsApp. I'll show this to you shortly, but I right. just want to give it a mention uh, before we go to the break. Um, you People were talking about climbing roses and we've mentioned an awful lot there this morning as well. You forgot to mention Bantry Bay they say. Oh Bantry Bay is a, is a beautiful rose. Ones that they've had for years they say. Absolutely and they're flowering brilliantly at the moment. Galway Bay is another lovely one and Dublin Bay. Any of those okay. three varieties are absolutely stunning. Dun- Dublin Bay for me is one of the nicest roses of all. It's a beautiful uh, rich blood red. Okay so uh, B- Bantry incidentally is pink from pink, the pictures. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah it's a lovely pink variety. So any of, the, any of those Bantry Bay, Galway Bay or Dublin Bay as a climbing rose absolutely stunning. Deadheaded during the summer it'll flower through till late October early November. Okay well it's in fine flower at the moment yeah. anyway. It's all about watering Porrick. It sure uh, well is. it's not all about watering but definitely there's a few watering questions but we'll look at some of the others first okay. and Shoot. maybe do a reminder on watering yeah. towards the yeah. end so if no your question problem. is watering related it's not that we're skipping over it, we're hanging on. Now uh, could you recommend a couple of climbing roses to plant on a south facing wall I presume it is or a south facing location anyway and are there any other climbers I can also use in conjunction? Absolutely and south facing is absolutely perfect because you're getting the sun all day long so any of the rows the climbing rows varieties we we mentioned already Galway Bay Bantry Bay uh, Dublin Bay are all excellent climbing roses if you want something very vigorous there's a variety called Albertine which has got really big coppery pink flowers, really nice variety with kind of bronze foliage, which is really nice. Climbing Iceberg is a lovely white variety. Climbing Arthur Bell is a lovely yellow scented variety. So look, at drop into your local garden centre. There's plenty of good climbing roses. This is the time of year to select them because they're coming into flower and you can actually smell the roses, as it were. Uh, what I would mix through roses are plants like the Clematis, the summer flowering Clematis. So varieties like Dr. Rupel, the President, Jack Manii are all lovely and they'll use the rose for support. So they'll scramble up through the branches of the roses and add some complementary flowers. Another plant that I particularly like is a plant called Solanum, the potato vine, which comes in blue and white. Lovely variety called Jasminoides. So it's like a jasmine. It's white and again, very, very long flowering. So you can mix any of those particular varieties. Honeysuckle can also be used with roses if you want that old cottage garden Mm. look. So again, you could mix uh, really nice varieties like Henry Eye, which is a lovely variety of, scented variety of um, honeysuckle. So any of the honeysuckle varieties, any of the clematis, summer flowering clematis, um, and the potato vine uh, is a lovely climber up through roses as well. And this is a really good time to plant them. I mean, if you plant a climbing rose this year, it will flower this summer. It'll be so much better next year. Yes, of course. <laughs> but but you'll, you have, yeah, you'll, have, you'll have some growth, though. Yeah, when you buy it, it's going to be two or three feet high. And by the certainly late summer, it'll be somewhere between five and six feet tall already in one year. And it will carry some blooms this year. And the same would apply with the clematis. They'll all flower this year. So perfect weather conditions for getting them in now. Now, what is the care for tomatoes? Mine have grown to four feet with four long stems of fruit. How often do we feed them and what about the side shoots? Okay, so now is the time to start feeding them. Certainly once the the trusses of tomatoes are visible, once they're the size of a pea, you feed them every week, every seven to ten days. A high potash feed, so any of the tomato feeds are ideal, or the uh, Osmo Universal feed is very good. 
the, the care really after that is just taking out any side shoots. So if the, the traditional varieties like Gardener's Delight or Shirley or Moneymaker, then you just take out any of the side shoots. You, so you basically have a central stem on the tomato. The truss of tomatoes, which carry the fruit, come off that. And then in between the leaf axle, it forms a small little branch or little shoot. And that should be removed, giving you a nice clean stem with the trusses of tomatoes hanging off that. So the, it sounds like the listener has done everything right. Four trusses of tomato. It'll be prob- probably produce another one or two between now and um, mid-July. And really, once they get to about five, five and a half feet, it's a good idea to stop them, to, to actually prune out the top of the shoot. Um, and that's it, really. Regular watering, regular feeding. As the fruit is swelling, you do need to increase the watering. So don't have them too wet, but do wash them quite well. So we're probably moving up, certainly by July, to washing them every second day and make sure they don't dry out. You know, ill-frequent watering with tomatoes. If they dry severely and then you wash them heavily, you tend to get cracked fruit because of fruit. It's bursting. Uh, yeah, it's exactly. soaking everything up the, as, when it gets it because it's so desperate for it. Exactly. And then and then if, if it's underwatered, the, it, the skin contracts so you get the, the splitting. So consistent watering, particularly from July onwards. Again, this time of year, you're washing them about once a week. But as we get into mid-July, August sort of period, as the fruit is ripening, every second day keep them well watered and I suppose when you think about it really I mean all all fruit and most vegetables you know they have all have high water content they have but tomatoes particularly so they're full of, of juice of, of natural water mm. yeah so just just increase it as we're going through the season but at the moment liquid feeding every 10 days watering once a week heavily and then let them dry out between that and take off the side shoots and that's all that's required if, we, if there's a blight warning we had a blight warning about 10 days mm. two weeks ago uh, if we get into that humid wet weather again do spray them as well for a bit of potato blight treatment because they can suffer from that Now what can I do with camellias that are yellow looking at the moment what's the correct way to manage them Okay well camellias have flowered since January right through to the end of May they're absolutely spectacular for four months of the year at this time of year they kick into growth so they're producing new growth on the plants on that growth they'll flower next year so the trick with camellias is to keep them really actively growing during the summer period because how well they grow from now till September determines how well they're going to flower next spring and yellowing is a sign that the plants are hungry and they're probably sacrificing particularly on the older leaves if they're yellow they're sacrificing their, their energy to go into the new growth that they're producing at the moment so my guess is if they're in containers maybe the container's gone too small for them maybe the listener isn't feeding them at this time of year so the the time to feed them is now and you feed them every two weeks from now right through to the beginning of september and there's a specific camellia food that you can use so if you go into your local garden center ask them for a nericaceous feed that's a specific key feed for rhododendrons azaleas and camellias feed them on a regular basis keep them well watered the leaves will come back to green and they'll push on some new growth if they're in pots for a long time my advice is to move them on into a bigger pot or plant them out into the garden soil using ericaceous compost so they need regular watering regular feeding and possibly repotting if they're in pots at the moment now want to clear a rough area of weeds and grass what spray to use and when can i plant fruiting trees in this spot okay so Perfect conditions for getting rid of weeds at the moment. So this sort of dry, calm weather is ideal. If you have to do any spraying, this is the type of weather to do it in. So if you want something relatively safe to use, use the Weed Free 360. So that's applied through a spraying machine. 
on a dry day. Make sure it doesn't obviously drift onto your lawn or into any other areas. So you apply it onto the foliage of the weeds you want to control. It'll ki- kill all broadleaf weeds and grasses um, and t- generally takes four to five days to work at this time of year. So once the once you've put on the treatment, the weeds will start to discolour within four or five days. Mm. That's a sign that the, the weeds are dying. You can cultivate the soil. And the great thing about Weed Free 360 is that it doesn't contaminate the soil. So you can plant fruit trees or ornamental trees or hedges or whatever. So it's a, it's a good treatment if you want to clear a specific area. You're planting a new hedge, you're putting in some fruit trees in this case, or you're just maybe vegetable area. You want to tidy it up, get rid of the weeds that are there before planting. So apply the Weed Free 360 any of the days <laughs> for the next seven days will be ideal and you get a very good kill at this time of year because plants are actively growing. So once you see the weeds dying, it's safe to plant. Okay. Uh, now I have a question. It starts off. I sowed five Lande trees 10 years ago. Now one side of the trees are all dead and weathered. Uh, so I suppose wondering what do we do in this instance? Well, I suppose what, it depends on how high those trees are. Well, after 10 years, if they're the green Lelandia, they're probably standing somewhere 25 to 30 feet. They put on normally about a metre of growth per year. So at the, at the, this, you know, they're at least 10 metres in height. So they're obviously quite, unless the listener has been cutting them back and mm. getting them trimmed. Why have they gone brown would be the question I'd be asking. Um, so Lelandia do not do particularly well in exposed, windy areas. They're not a plant for coastal areas certainly and they dislike high strong winds so that generally causes browning and that browning they won't reshoot from so or or else the, the plants have been cut very severely on that side and they've withered and gone brown so with Lelandiae first of all you know be careful when, when you're planting them they're not so much planted anymore because they're so vigorous and they tend to need a lot of maintenance and a lot of control they're not suitable for very exposed elevated sites or certainly seaside areas they're just going to go brown the salt and the wind will, will scorch them and they dislike heavy pruning and heavy cutting back so um, there's nothing the listener can do really to prevent it to, to de- bring them to back the brown, green again yeah. you know okay. that once they go brown like that they'll stay brown on that side unless you plant another hedge in front of them that w- is more wind tolerant like silver edge or something that's a little bit more robust but um, really it really depends why the, the if, again if the listener wants to maybe take some photographs I'm in the garden centre actually after the programme so I'll be in the garden centre from uh, one o'clock on today in Turlock so if the listener wants to bring in some photographs maybe and I can have a look at it yeah. more specifically or, or if you want to send them, them to us via or send WhatsApp them in here. either yeah. uh, whether it's this week or next week yeah, we'll have a look at we'll that look but at you them. can take it that the browning on, on Lelandia they don't reshoot from that again so um you know, okay, so they're not they're not going to come yeah. back from that. So either plant something else or maybe think about changing changing the trees, changing putting the trees. something else in. Now, good morning from Gloria's Ackle. Oh, lovely. After the very wet winter, my garden is full of flat leaf buttercups running everywhere and half strangling everything else that is trying to grow. We hear you. I've been digging it out of the beds, oh, but right. it's through the lawn as well. What can I spray it with that won't kill the grass? Will more tone kill it? Well, the thing about Mortone is, is an agricultural spray first and the answer, to answer your question, it will kill creeping buttercups. But the thing with Mortone, particularly on your lawn, it can discolour the lawn as well. It's quite a severe uh, weed killer. Um, so you can get discoloration. It'll, so. it'll kill the buttercups, but it can kill other things. Well, it, it won't necessarily kill the grass, but it will discolour it. It can turn it yellow. If you want a, a kind of more 
I suppose, lawn weed killer. One called Dicofar is very good. So that can be used. So my advice really here, and, and buttercups, because of the wet spring, of course, they've loved that. Rushes as well have done so well. Um, so if you want something just to kill off the, the creeping buttercup, use the Dicofar. Um, don't cut the lawn for about seven days. Allow the buttercup to show itself and flower and then apply the Dicofar um, that will kill it within three to four days and you can mow the grass. So basically Dicofar kills everything but the grass. So it'll kill broadleaf weeds in the lawn and uh, without discolouring the lawn. And again, this sort of weather is ideal for those sort of treatments. I generally recommend a little bit of washing up liquid into the mix. You tend to get a better kill. It sticks onto the, the leaf of the buttercup that little bit better and you just get a better kill. And then feed the lawn after applying it to get it to fill in those bare patches. Now, in the last two weeks, our laurel hedges, new growth is dying on one side. I noticed that a lot of vegetation along the road is similar as if it's scorched. Is this because of the change in the weather? And what's the best thing to do? It's actually down to the wind. It's the wind. It's yeah. the wind. I see my own, I have a lovely Japanese maple out on, on the main road and uh, it's all burnt on one side. So young growth, young growth is like even plants like laurel, when it produces new growth, the new growth is very sensitive to wind. And same applies to any plant. And they've been growing so well over the last 10 days. So we had some wind, whatever it was. was about two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. And that has scorched quite a number of plants. Just ignore it. Nothing to worry about. It'll come back. It'll come back 100%. If the listener wants, they can give it a light trimming back, give the, the laurel hedge a feed, and within two or three weeks, it'll totally... So it's not, it's not a pest. It's not a disease. It's nothing to do with the scorching sunshine. It's due to that cold, sharp wind we had uh, whenever it was 10 days yeah. ago um, so I see it on the nurseries as well a lot of the nursery have laurels new growth just and it's the, all burnt the just burnt on one side yeah, yeah. Yeah. so it's it's very common don't worry about it uh, feed the plants give them a light trim be perfectly fine again it's not going to set them back it was a nothing to worry about nothing to worry nothing about. to worry about now I bought a plant last week called gerbera yep. uh, there was no info with it would you be able to tell us a bit about okay. it please well, <laughs> I have a beautiful gerbera flowering in uh, I planted it probably six weeks ago in a patio container right outside my back window and it has been flowering ever since so gerberas love the sunshine so plant them in a sunny location. You can grow them both indoors or out of doors. So I have mine literally planted in a large planted container with a lot of other mixed plants. Uh, in height, they're going to grow about 18 inches in height. And they produce these fantastic, large, daisy-like flowers, uh, but of beautiful shades. So they're shades of pinks and reds and yellow. It's very, very bright vibrant colours. So gerberas love the sunshine. They tend to need a, a reasonable amount of moisture. Again, I, I water mine once a week. Um, so depending on where you're going to place it, if you're having it inside in the windowsill, you might have to water a little bit more often. But plant it out into a container, uh, sunny location, water once a fee week, feed it once a week, and I deadhead it about every 10 days and it will flower right through till September. Fantastic. So a lovely, lovely plant. plant. Gerberas, yeah. Um, I have a bunch of peony roses. A couple of questions on peony roses, Porik. Uh, yeah. Now they're on the ground from the wind and the rain. Yeah. Should I leave them there or cut them back? Well, I would tidy them back to it. So take off any of the flowers that have got knocked about and, and, and so on. Any damaged stems, anything that's broken or damaged, trim that back as well. Um, and, you know, any of the flattened leaves, you're better off to trim them back, feed them, and they'll actually produce a whole new series of new growth. Now, they won't flower again. Their flowering period is, is more or less finished at this stage. But they'll certainly kick back into growth. And we're seeing it with a lot of herbaceous plants. So a lot of things like lupins, delphiniums, foxgloves, anything tall and stemmy has tend to got 
got blown over mm. and broken. So if that has happened in your garden, my advice is to trim back the foliage, feed it, and they'll come back into growth again. Plants like lupins will reflower again, delphiniums will reflower again, even the foxgloves will reflower again if you deadhead them and trim them back. So don't leave them there as a as a broken mess. You're better to tidy it all up, feed it, and it'll be back into full growth again. My turnips have small holes in the leaves and last year the centres on some were hollow or soft. Any tips? Okay, so turnips and swades, um, the, go on. Is it boron? <laughs> yeah, it is. boron? Well, boron, boron is the element that um, stops the, the uh, hollowing of the, or the, the uh, distort, distortation of the um, heart, the oh, centre yeah. of the of the turnip. So you tend to get kind of either hollow or it tends to be very kind of uh, pitty in the centre and inedible. So that's boron deficiency. If you get yourself a box of the Vitex Q4 fertiliser that contains boron or look for a fertiliser, a liquid or a granulated feed with boron in it. And that really should be added to the soil anytime you're sowing turnips or suede because they tend to suffer from it where boron isn't present in the soil. So boron is a micro nutrient. It's a small like copper or, or zinc, any of those elements. So that's what's happening there. The, the little holes in the leaves are down to flea beetle, which is a small beetle that attacks um, the leaves of turnips. And particularly when they're at seedling stage, it can be very destructive. So again, use a safe treatment like um, the bug clear fruit and veg. Put that on in the evening time. The, the, as soon as the flea beetle comes back on the plant, that will control it and the plants will start to grow again. Give them a bit of a liquid feed as well just to kind of boost them on. But they'll be perfectly fine. But the boron is important. You're dead right. Okay. I want to just acknowledge the most incredible set of photographs uh, of a rose garden that have come in from Jane and Atty Mask. Good morning, Jane and Cogorgicus on a gorgeous garden. Um, we note, as your question, I suppose, is that you're wondering about how you stop the roses from getting so tall. They're in great condition, absolutely. But some are up to three to four feet. Uh, they're cut back to nothing in winter. Uh, most of the rose bushes, 20 to 25 years. And poor, I can be delighted to hear they were purchased in Horton oh. and Castle Bar. <laughs> 25 uh, but anyway, years ago. The most important thing is that they've given many years of pleasure, but uh, they're a bit, I suppose, on, the leggy, on char- the leggy side. I probably didn't charge enough for them. <laughs> 25 <laughs> you years. Were, you were only in training at that point, I'm sure. <laughs> well, look at there. I looked at the photographs and they're absolutely yeah. beautiful. Wow. They're coming into flower at the moment. So here's a great example where the listener obviously cuts them back really tight at the you know during the winter period, which is perfectly right. But they're a great. Uh, they're a great range of roses for the Chelsea chop. Okay. We were talking about the Chelsea we chop were. on the programme last week. We were. And this is this is a this is a great example of if the listener had recut the roses around the end of May, third, fourth week of May. So at that stage the plants would have been maybe two and a half, three feet high. You take off six or eight inches of the plants. I know it seems counter uh, intuitive to do that, but if you do that, what you basically do is keep the overall roses nice and short far more branches, far more flowers. So you avoid this legginess or tallness in the roses because some varieties are naturally tall. Mm. Um, so like Superstar, for example, grows up to three feet or four feet and can be caught in the wind. But if you do the Chelsea chop, literally just trimming six inches off the plant at the end of May, it re shoots again, you get twice as many branches, twice as many flowers, but the plants are right, half just the height. A bit lower. Yeah, so that's a great example. So Jane, was it? Yes. So I, for what I would recommend with Jane to do is just do the normal thing this year, deadhead them and so on, feed them. But next year, prune them exactly the same way in the winter, but around the third or fourth week of May, 
recut them again, just taking six inches off the new growth. So you'll reduce them down to maybe two feet overall, uh, feed them, and within a couple of weeks, they'll be back in new growth with loads and loads of flowers but they'll be half the height yeah there's already so, loads of flowers there oh they're anyway. lovely they're so, stunning uh, yeah, yeah really stunning. fantastic altogether. Yeah. congratulations now I had a lovely low growing begonia last summer that flowered until late October there were big blooms on the plants all summer I'm not sure of the name of it uh, can I plant begonias now yeah this is a perfect time so once we get into the second or third week of June it's begonia planting time really they should be going into the soil now I would guess that the variety she had was a variety called non-stop and they live up to their name they literally <laughs> don't stop flowering until certainly October early November so if you plant them now they're available in shades of red orange yellows whites a whole range of different colours the flowers are quite large they're maybe three to four inches in diameter and they're fully double they would remind you of a camellia small camellia flower really really beautiful in height they'll only grow to about a foot but in width they'll grow the size of a dinner plate so they're quite big and chunky or short and chunky I should say uh, but with tons and tons of flowers so they're the non-stop begonias plant them now they'll flower from now right through so if you're looking for colour in July, August, September, October, guarantee you begonias, irrespective of the weather, even last winter or autumn with the um, wet autumn mm. we had, they still flowered beautifully. Yeah, the flower doesn't stain in the in the wet weather. So if we get warm weather, they do well. If we get wet weather, they're actually the perfect Irish garden plant, to be honest, for a splash of colour. So they're the non-stop begonias. Plant them now. You won't be disappointed. They're absolutely brilliant. Plant them about a foot apart. Give them plenty of space. Feed them well. And they'll give you tons of colour. And you can save the bulb. They're growing from a, a bulb similar to a, um, a gladioli bulb. It's actually a corm. And you can lift that in the autumn and have it for many, many years. So, um, so they're the non-stop begonias. Plant them now. You get tons of colour. Now, is there anything uh, that a listener can do with box blight? They have it fairly significantly in uh, their hedge there. On well, a yeah, so box blight is the yellowing or, or the, the discoloration of the foliage. So it's a blight that comes onto the surface, particularly in the autumn. And again, remember, we had a very wet autumn last year. So there's a lot of box blight on box plants at the moment. So what you do is give them a light trimming back and then you can get a, a treatment called top boxes or healthy mix. It's often sold as as well. It's a specific treatment for box blight. So it's a blue tablet. You mix it in water and you spray, spray it onto the foliage. It controls the blight and it also helps to feed the plant as well. There's a liquid feed in it as well. So pop into your local garden centre, explain that, that you've got box blight on your plants and they'll have a specific treatment called healthy mix you simply mix with water, apply it onto the foliage. I would also feed those plants, give them a bit of the Osmo tree and shrub feed as well. And um, the new growth would be perfectly fine. You'll bring them back from that. Okay, now we have uh, some damage <clears throat> still on apple trees and plum trees from the wind. Um, so I suppose general gist is a couple of questions of this nature. Apple trees gone black uh, with the bad storm and also um, that apples themselves with black spots. Does that, are they yeah, so, a similar problem? Well, the, the wind naturally, like like with the laurel question. And you plum know, trees also suffering. Yeah, and well. lots of trees got really kind of bet and, and damaged. And particularly when they've that young growth on them, they're, they're going to get torn and, and, and stained and damaged. So look at the, the the tree will respond. Any broken branches obviously need to be trimmed off. Anything that's damaged, trim it off. But the leaves themselves, you get a new flush of new growth 
on the on the tree again. It'll come back into growth again, particularly if you give it a little bit of feed now. So it's nothing really to worry about. Um, black spots on the fruit can be a little bit of apple scab. And again, if you have something like Rose Clear or Rose Rescue or any of the the fungus treatments, you could apply those to the apples. They've gone out of flower now, the fruit are forming on them, the bees won't be visiting them, so it's a great time to actually treat your roses to a to a, a bit of fungicide. Mm. So something like the Rose Clear or Rose Rescue is, is ideal. So if you're spraying your roses, give the apple tree and the plum tree uh, a lick of it as well, and that helps to prevent any diseases. Now, because it's so dry at the moment, we're not going to have too much disease problems, maybe a bit of mildew. It'll be more with pests, more green fly caterpillars, they're the guys that are going to be... The flying ones. They're flying pests. They're going to just relish this weather at the moment. Now, a curry listener has a pear tree that was full of blossoms but very few pears on it. They're just wondering what might have happened. Well, it, it, well, what may have happened is pears flower very early in the season so they're flowering kind of March sort of period and at that time of year unless you've got the pear in a very sheltered spot it... The flowers can physically be damaged by wind, by frost. Mm. Um, so the flowers, what has happened basically is the flowers haven't been pollinated. Yeah. And that can be down to a number of factors. Um, pear trees are noted for, um, the, the, the bees actually don't particularly like pears. There's not so much pollen and nectar in them. So they so can be it difficult. Har- it's harder to pollinate It's harder them. to pollinate them, yeah. And, and particularly at that time of year this year, with the spring being cold and wet, the bees were 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 late to be active. It was re- well into May before the bees, honeybees, actually came out. So, it's a pollination problem. You've missed the crop for this year. So, really, you're going to play for next year. And that's the trouble with pears. The flowers are early in the season. That they can be, you can get a fantastic year where they produce loads and loads of fruit, and you can get three or four years where they produce very very little. Planting them on south facing walls helps them on a sheltered wall uh, because you know they're they're out of the wind and out of the the, the kind of cold weather and um, but there's nothing the listener can do this year i would you know just leave it alone give it a feed if you want to build it up for next year a high potash fertilizer and um go pray from, for a better spring go from there yeah you need a good spring for pears basically to encourage the bees out and obviously the, that the blossoms aren't damaged i have yellow lily flowers but there's something eating the leaves what might it be well, it could be slugs, it could be snails, um, it could be caterpillars, it could be a wide range of, of um, pests at the moment. Uh, so, you know, look for the obvious things. It's probably slugs and snails coming. They come out at night time and, and will eat lily leaves. You know, I wouldn't worry too much if, if it's only a small bit of leaf damage, particularly if, if they're, the yellow varieties tend to be quite vigorous. Uh, so if it's badly damaged, certainly put down a little bit of slug control. Um, if not, just leave them alone. They'll grow out of it. And a similar question, I suppose, in relation to dahlias, same, sto- same story? Yeah, or, no, the thing with dahlias, yeah. dahlias, um, a bit going back to your turnip question, um, dahlias can suffer from flea beetle as well. So if it's pinhole it's in the leaves and they're looking a bit distorted, that's our friend, the flea beetle, attacking the, uh, the actual dahlia, the young shoots on the dahlias, and it can cause stunting in the plants. They can look stunted and, and kind of sad in themselves. So, again, get yourself a little bit of bug clear, mix it up, spray it on. Flea beetle, again, is um, it's a kind of a elusive pest. So if you come near the plants, it actually drops down and it tends to feed at night time. So it's not visible on the plants. So, you, you know, you're often searching for it and you don't see anything visibly. Mm. But that's, what I think, what it is here. A bit of flea beetle mm-hmm. damage. A little bit of... Uh, uh, clear control apply that on during the evening time one or two applications will see the flea beetle off and just feed those dahlias and they'll, co- they'll come back again if you stop the pest 
Now, uh, not a question, but just a comment. Uh, uh, we want to thank Porik for all his help last week from Dundee and Blooming in Kilchamaw. Uh, you don't get enough recognition uh, for what to do. Well, so they have far. a great community nice. in yes, Kilchamaw. I know they've been featured on the programme before going back over the last year. Yeah, we, I've done a couple of projects with the guys and they're such a great team. I mean, if you ask them to, to organise a metal, there's about 20 <laughs> chaps that will turn up and, and we get so much done. So it's a, And they're doing tremendous work in Kilchamaw. It's always a pleasure to drive through it with the painting. So we have a couple of more jobs to finish off there, a bit more planting next weekend, I believe. And there's the weather for it. <laughs> yeah. Now, we had a rose on my mother's grave. Unfortunately, <clears throat> it was removed. I was told a rose won't grow where another one was planted. Well, it, it, there, true so, or false? Well, it, it, this truth, this truth in the matter, but we, we have a solution to it as well. So that's a thing called rose sickness. It's where if you plant a rose and it's growing for a number of years and then you dig it up or it dies and you plant another rose, there's... Um, bacteria in the soil left from the previous rose, oh, right. bits of the roots, and it causes rose sickness. So the second rose finds it difficult to grow. Now, having said that, there is a, a, a treatment. Um, it's a mycelium treatment. If you go to your local garden centre, they'll have it for you. Um, you simply mix it into the soil before you plant the new rose. So my advice here is if you want to grow another rose, go for a nice dwarf variety. Um, uh, dig out the old soil that's there Put, chuck that onto a, a bit of waste ground, put in some fresh soil, add the little mycelium through the soil as well and plant your new rose and it'll be perfectly fine. The same happens actually with pansies. Pansies, if they're replanted in the same area year after year, build up, uh, there's a, a kind of a sickness or a, a root disorder that actually, um, so that can happen as well. So if you're fond of planting the summer flowering pansies or violas, it's a good idea to mix that mycelium through the soil as well. So it's a, look, a little granulated treatment. You rake it into the soil and that saves the, the, the rose. So you can certainly put a new rose on your on the grave if you wish. Okay, uh, time is starting to tick against us. So one or two more before we finish up. Good morning, my white lilies. The bulbs seem to have gone soft in the middle. Uh, new shoots are growing around them though. Well, plant them, get them into the soil. Um, I mean, lilies should be planted at this stage. Many of the, the, the summer flowering lilies are coming into flower at the moment. So if they're soft, then get them, plant them up. The new shoots, that's a good sign that they're beginning to shoot. So I'd put them into a couple of large pots, put three or four bulbs together, wait for them to shoot through the compost and then plant them out into the garden soil and they'll be perfectly fine. Uh, my strawberries aren't ripening. Wait for another week. <laughs> Give it another week. Bit they'll they'll, they'll ripen. Remember, strawberries, you know, they tend to ripen during Wimbledon times, which is kind of, you know, the end of June, early July is really the time for strawberries. So uh, if the fruit are on them, they will ripen. Don't worry. Again, you know, again, don't overwash them, but do, do keep the compost moist. Give them an odd liquid feed as well, but put them out in the sunshine. Okay. And keep an eye on them because they ripen very quickly. They do indeed. <laughs> they do indeed. Um, now, okay, let's go back to the watering because I suppose I notice questions coming in. So we have questions, watering beds in general, uh, the window boxes and troughs. How do we go about watering them? We have people with stuff in tunnels wondering about right. the watering. So we're getting so, ready for a hot week. Yeah, so look at it. Again, in the tunnels, obviously they're going to be, your plants are going to need more watering. But again, my advice really with watering, watering the evening time or early morning, water the soil 
not the plant. So what I, what I mean by that is literally put the hose right onto the compost, really saturate the soil, and then leave it for several days. So leave it for at least four or five, up to a week. Um, let the compost slightly dry out. Now, I'm not saying let the plants collapse from the lack of watering, but do ebb on the side of slightly underwatering at this time of year. As we get into July, August, you're going to increase the watering. That is going to be important. Window boxes, containers out of sight. Again, I'm watering mine once a week. That's give, douse the soil or the compost, really wet it, and then leave it for a week to grow to uh, to dry out and let the plants come on. So ebb on the side of slightly underwatering. And as we get through the summer, as we get into in three weeks' time, you're going to increase the watering to probably every second or every third day. So just keep an eye. Nearly get to use to know the weight of the container. That's a good way to judge it. Give it a kind of a, a, a bit, bit of a, a heist. Every Karen, now, and now again. mind your backs. Well, of course, but just lift one edge of it and you'll get a sense of when it, if it's heavy and it's, it's hard to lift, obviously it's got plenty of moisture in it. If it's light, then you, you need to. So put your hand in under the hanging basket, lift it up and uh, check it that way. Remember, I'm in the garden centre later on today, so if people want to pop in from one till five, I'll be in our store in Turlock. And certainly if people want advice on garden design or, or any particular plants, problems they have with their Ideas plants. Ideas about anything at all. Anything at all. Take photographs, bring them in to me. That's probably the best way okay. and we'll have a good chat lovely park we'll leave it there for this morning we're back again next saturday just after seven for me and gardening from nine uh, until then a very good morning to you